Welcome to a weekend edition of the show where we are talking all things recruiting. Maybe you need it on the weekend with how your team's performed, or maybe you just want to feel more encouraged after a win. Regardless, we're talking about recruiting and just how bad might Oregon State have been hurt by that game against USC not being on national television. Let's go. We're locked on Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster. Thanks for making this your first listen or your first view of the day here on a weekend edition of the show. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Pack 12. If you haven't already, please like, comment, subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching the show. Thanks to everybody out there who has done so already. And we've been getting a lot of new subscribers, so perhaps I need to introduce the man on the show with me here on this weekend edition, John Garcia Jr., the director of recruiting for Sports Illustrated. For everyone who's been with me for a while here on the show, this is John. He hasn't he hasn't been with us for a little while. Our schedules have been very uh, difficult to match up, but it is uh, finally great to have you back on the show. Yeah, likewise, my friend. Yeah, we, we've been uh, pretty busy in, in different ways. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a first time father. I'm getting through a hurricane as we speak. You are? So things things are rolling. Things oh, are just rolling in, in the Garcia household. So it's it's been fun the last few weeks, but excited to be back for sure. I didn't even know that. Congratulations, boy Thank or you. girl? Boy. Wow. Did yes, you sir. did you, has he has he put on a jersey yet? Is that not quite? Now he's not, got a couple. He's got a couple team logos in the closet, um, and and more are probably on the way. We won't reveal those just yet, but yeah, it's, <laughs> it's coming pretty soon, no doubt. Well, hit me up when uh, when he's old enough to start getting golf lessons, and I'll uh, I'll throw throw my name throw my name into into the ring. But something I wanted to talk about with you, John, because you've covered recruiting for a long time for for Sports Illustrated. Is last week Oregon State and USC played a heck of a football game. And USC has got all the national name brand recognition you could have for a West Coast program. They're the premier brand out West. So they didn't need it as much. But to me, when I watch that game on Pac-12 Network, not that the broadcast crew doesn't do a solid job or anything like that, but we know because of the previous media rights deal, it doesn't have the reach. It doesn't have the sort of visibility that that game deserved for the conference and for the individual schools how do you feel that sort of lack of visibility harms Pac-12 programs in recruiting, especially for one like Oregon State that's not a historically premier brand? It's that last part, Spencer. That That's really what I latch on to in this conversation. If, if you are USC, Oregon, Stanford, Washington, maybe Utah as well, not an issue for you as much, right? You have been, at least in the last five to ten years, you have been in the spotlight to some degree uh, whether it's Saturdays, whether it's you know elite individual players, or even sending guys up to the NFL. But if you are trying to make that jump and jump into that group, so your Oregon States, your Washington States naturally come to mind, Cal's another one, you need that visibility because if, if you are going to pull an upset or a near upset in this case, the buzz comes with people who can see it, who can experience it. When, when Texas nearly beat Alabama – Everybody who was able to watch it, which was pretty much everyone, understood, hey, this is a huge step 
for Texas, right? So imagine what we would have said if collectively as a country, we could have seen Oregon State theoretically take that next step and confirm this ascent against USC. I have YouTube TV, ESPN Plus. I couldn't watch the game. I was I was waiting for Twitter to show me something. I was looking at updates. I was watching the game cast. It was awful. I know my colleague Pat Forty up at SI was, was going through the same thing. He was making jokes that he heard, you know, Caleb Williams through the game winner via telegram. It, it was really <laughs> it became its own part of the conversation. And that should never happen for any power five program against especially against a marquee opponent. I, I could I could see if it was, you know, you're playing an FCS school or an HBCU or just a school that is not an elite power five level program. But when you're playing a major conference game that, as you said before we came on, was already billed as a very big game. It was already viewed as, hey, this is not a game to sleep on in the national slate, much less the Pac-12 slate. It, it was really a shame uh, how limited the, the viewership was in that regard. And it absolutely hurts an Oregon State in this case, because if, if you have that scholarship offer and that game is visible nationally, you might say, pretty sure they offered me and, and that could literally be the difference between picking up the phone recruiting but if you're talking about building that has to become a, a part of the conversation so i think in a lot of ways it really hurt oregon state from from a football perspective from a, a, a ap voter top 25 perspective and obviously potentially a recruiting perspective let's go over to colorado john and they're having um how how best to put it kindly a tough start to the season not just oh and four but a pretty uncompetitive 0-4. Yeah. And we've talked about their recruiting here on the show before because they've been doing it with their 2023 class with volume, right? You don't have the four- and five-star kids that that are going to go to a USC in Oregon or Washington or uh, Utah every now and then and such. And that's, that's pretty typical, but they've had a high volume. But this start to the season, again, has not just been – 0-4, but I mean, I don't know how they could look much worse. Their offense can't score. Their defense can't stop anybody. What sort of effect does that have on guys who committed this early in the process? Well, look, they've got 17 of them as we speak, Spencer. And and here's the thing. For, for most programs, if you're able to build a local and semi-local or even conference-level recruiting base from a geog geographical standpoint – you feel like you've got some staying power. You've got the ability to maybe have your kids hang in there. But Colorado, to its, you know, not to its detriment just yet, but to its benefit, you know, in the summer, recruits nationally now, right? Seven kids from Texas, four from California, a couple from Florida. Arkansas might be the home state of the best commitment on this list. So what that means is the, the benefit of the doubt, the loyalty, the staying power that would otherwise be there is not on the same level. So it's much easier for, for prospects out of the region, typically, to look uh, elsewhere when it comes to, to their college football destinations. And I, and I guarantee you some of the middle-tier Power 5 programs that are still on the hunt for certain prospects that Colorado and other schools that aren't doing so well already have on board, they're going to start making some phone calls. It is the nature of, of college football recruiting. You know, is, a recruitment is not over until – national signing day so uh, particularly those texans the floridians even the californians i would say would be more likely to at least accept more calls based on uh, what they're seeing on field especially in this day and age of swift 
coaching decisions, right? We we've used to see coaches get three, four, five years to build their program and and, and ask the question, hey, is this the right guy? Now it, it's like two, maybe three years, right? So we're, we're in that range with Carl Durrell. And, and all of a sudden, it just seems like that Pac-12 title appearance in the COVID season was 10 years ago even though it was just you know two and a half years ago. So I, I think that stuff is all going to pop up uh, conversationally with these recruits. And, you know, there could be hot seat talk there. You know, we, we've already seen, what, three power five jobs um, change hands uh, th this season alone, and we're only in week four. We're going into week five now. So uh, it wouldn't be a surprise to see more, at, at a minimum, chatter and discussion about a potential change in Colorado, and that always affects recruiting just as much as that win-loss record. So unless there's a swift turnaround or at least some competitiveness, you know, where where Colorado looks better, looks more prepared on Saturdays, it, it's going to be tough sledding to keep all 17 of these recruits, especially if your staff did a good job evaluating like it appears they have with some of these gets. Yeah, and in college football, I talk about all the time, you're not always what your record says you are because everybody's schedule is very different, right? Sure. I think so far at this point in the season, Oregon has looked better than UCLA, for instance. And this is this episode's dropping after the UCLA game on Friday, so maybe that, that, that'll change. But like through the first four weeks of the year, Oregon 3-1, and one, UCLA 4-0. and oh. Well, who, who looked better? It's not automatically UCLA, right? Sure. Colorado's record... At, at 0 and 4 entering this weekend is you know not a very good look but Arizona had that a week ago or a year ago as well they finished 1 and 11 but they had games where they competed where where they were close and i feel like if Colorado was going yeah. yeah yeah and they they had weeks where it looked like they were finally going to break through but Colorado thus far the the losing streak is mounting and it just doesn't appear that there's a slowdown in sight. They, they've got Arizona today uh, w w when this episode drops, and they're a big-time underdog there. And I feel like, John, players might look at that, and this is just the nature of college football recruiting, that to to the victors go the spoils. If you're not able to at least put up a fight out there, guys might reconsider because a coaching change may be imminent. According to our friends at Bet Online, proud sponsor here at the Locked On Podcast Network, next coach to be fired, the leading candidate is Carl Durrell. Yeah. And, and if that happens, that. <laughs> yeah, that, that, if, if that happens, then that goes up in the air. Right. I mean, yeah. at that point, those kids can say, well, you know, I'm not going back on my word here because I committed to play for that staff and he's not going to be there now. And that's a very real possibility. 100 percent, especially when you talk about, again, just where these kids are from. Right. These aren't kids that were born and bred to be buffs, uh, not to alliterate too much. Uh, but these are just good football players that this staff has gone out and find again, to their credit. But when you cast such a wide net and there is turmoil or even the conversation about the potential firing could start to initiate a kid saying, hey, um, let me look at some other schools I was looking at. Let me call uh, Arizona back. Let me call, you know, a, a high level G5 school, Memphis or, or UCF or Cincinnati. Let me call them back uh, because, you know, hey, th this thing could change here in a hurry. That's just the nature. And again, it, it's it's easy to say, hey, it's about the kids and they're just making those decisions themselves. Not the case, right? Mom, dad, high school coach, mentor, seven-on-seven seven coach, fellow recruit who has maybe been through a coach getting fired. All of these voices are coming in relatively consistently. Um, so in, in the nature of the market, 
that is college football recruiting, it is almost on the player to say, hey, let me make sure if something does happen, there is a plan B at least developing at this stage. So that can always push a nudge uh, towards decommitments. And um, probably the last thing on Carl Durrell's mind right now, uh, but it is a part of the conversation that will uh, affect the other teams in the Pac-12 and probably beyond. Speaking of programs in disarray, let's go down to Tempe, John. Arizona State gets rid of uh, Herm Edwards. And for Sun Devil fans, I've talked to Richie Bradshaw, host of Locked on Sun Devils here on the show. And he and others felt, you know, it was a long time coming and it was overdue. And maybe the move was made uh, a year or, or maybe too late because when he took it over, it was in a good place. They, they, they felt like they had plateaued with Todd Graham. You had back-to-back 10-win seasons, which is certainly what Arizona State is capable of. You're not that far from Texas. You're not that far from California. You've got talented kids in Arizona. You've got a program that can pack a stadium and give you a good home field advantage. Like That is, that, that is what Arizona State is capable of being, a perennial 9-10 win team, maybe even more if they could find the absolute perfect coach to be the lead man for the Sun Devils. And so Herm Edwards came in and his job was to take a program that was in a pretty good spot and elevate it. And he has done the exact opposite in the recruiting sense, the on-field performance. I mean, he didn't have a 10-win season. He he right. had a winning record, which on the surface looks like, well, that's not that bad. But then disaster strikes against Eastern Mission. You say you were hired to elevate this thing. Yet you haven't. He hasn't been completely incompetent until that particular game uh, against the Eagles. But just looking big picture before we get to the recruiting talk with Arizona State, where do you feel this program is at and where do you think they can go? I I think from from a obviously, look, there's there's this overhang, overarching question marks around the program under his leadership, whether it comes to violations and just kind of the COVID stuff, it got, it got messy, right? We heard about leaks as messy as, as a divorce really could get in college football outside of, you know, something illegal, which I should always uh, make clear. You know, I, I think optically you've got to go in a completely different direction. Even if all of that stuff wasn't in play, if it was just about the on-field product and the on-field decline, I think you'd go naturally younger probably a more offensive minded uh head coach uh, especially when you talk about the Pac-12 and what we assume is going to be a um you know a more interestingly offensive Pac-12 going forward uh, especially with some of the the programs we're we're watching on the ascent this year we just talked about Oregon State Arizona as well um you're going to have to score points so i think a younger more dynamic modern recruiter is going to be the the natural transition here for Arizona State cuz on the surface, yeah, Herm Edwards looked like a stabilizer, a CEO type with all these NFL ties that it was going to be such an easy sell to recruits. Hey, I've coached in the NFL. I'll come coach you and, and I'll get you there, uh, which is easier said than done. But there's got to be a whole lot of winning in, in the process. And then you throw in the scandal and all of a sudden the, the perception really can't shift until a change is made. Uh, we've, we've talked on this show, Spencer, about the low numbers at Arizona State, even in the portal, they weren't on that top tier of talent acquisition. They got a lot of guys who maybe had their shot at other programs and and have to now rebound, looking for second chances in that direction as opposed to I'm on the cusp on the ascent and I'm looking for that type of second chance or maybe a more visible chance. So it's been very interesting from a talent acquisition standpoint. And, and look, beyond wins and losses, that is 
the name of the game and it just wasn't getting done even with all of the NFL names even with the combination of hiring you know young former players right um the the DB's coach who played at USC Adam Brenneman the tight ends coach they they tried both ends of the spectrum here guys in their 20s that were looking for their star and all these NFL guys and that didn't work I think it was too extreme one side and the other simultaneously so naturally now you go find a middle ground with a dynamic relatively younger offensive coach and allow him to build his staff particularly if there are ties to that area that part of the country um you know a lot of people are moving to arizona the high school football there is getting better seemingly by the week right which means the recruits are coming out at a higher clip there's really no reason that this program isn't threatening 10 wins just about every single year yeah, I, I think it's it's got that sort of potential. We, we, we've seen it happen before. And with their coaching search, I think you have to start with a guy who, who's proven to be a recruiter, right? Because the roster now, you look around and say, the, those transfers you brought in, just like you alluded to, guys who are looking for a second chance rather than being on the ascent. The recruiting is, you know, I, I think 102nd in the class of 2022 or, or, tw- or 23. I, I mean, oh, it's just... Yeah, or, or or both. Like it, it could not be any worse. And that's yeah. where it starts, right? Which makes the coaching search such a fascinating component, or, or makes the recruiting such a fascinating component of the the coaching search. But I look at programs around the Pac-12, and it, you know, Washington can recruit top twenty nationally. USC and Oregon can be top ten. That's kind of their ceilings. I see Stanford get in uh, the top twenty, top thirty. UCLA probably has a lot of untapped potential from a recruiting standpoint with Chip Kelly there. But for Arizona State, John, whoever the next coach is, I I see no reason if you're doing it right, they can't be a perennial top 30, at the very least top 40. But I I think that could be a top 30 recruiting team. 100%. You're right in the middle of, of the Los Angeles to the Dallas corridor there in the southwestern part of the country. Again, so many people, in particularly the last couple of years, have moved to that part of the country. I think the Phoenix metro is the number one uh, boosted population metro area in America, right? Uh, I think Orlando, Miami's near, but I believe uh, Phoenix, uh, that metro is number one in the country uh, since the beginning of, of the pandemic uh, two and a half years ago. So um, there's a, a lot of influx your way. Uh, and then you're you're stretching to areas that are also right there from a talent and population perspective. Whether you talk about the Los Angeles metro, e- even uh, the state of Nevada, and of course going down to Texas, where there's buku talent, just about any type of player you, you might desire, uh, probably resides in the Lone Star State. So Arizona State uh, has had success in those areas, and I think they could continue to do so with a sprinkle of of some national ties, depending on the type of coach that they bring in and the type of system uh, that is brought into ASU. It is a very easy to find program in a big city or near a big city, I should say. And it's very brand recognizable, right? I think when we talk about programs that have to ascend, you know, Oregon State doesn't have the same brand recognition that ASU does, right? Um, everybody recognizes that that Sun Devil, those colors, the uniforms are fun. I mean, Sparky. those things sound sounds stupid to our audience but they resonate with 15 16 year olds who who get a letter from a school and say what is this school and they hit google oh yeah yeah i've seen them i've seen them before that stuff matters a ton at the very beginning of of the recruiting process so getting a coach who understands and recognizes that i think is is going to be critical and obviously the staff that he's going to need to build um has to be 
one with variants. It can't be one extreme or the other like Herm Edwards tried to do. It's got to be a completely different look and feel almost simultaneously. Not easy to do, but there are, of course, great candidates uh, with, with ties to that part of the country because there have been a lot of great coaches to come through there. And there's a, a handful that you know kind of came up uh, in that region as well. So I expect it to be a, a pretty interesting search as long as there's clarity from the NCAA perspective on just how slow a start it might have to be on the field. Because I do think, obviously, there's there's a shelf life here. And, and if we're talking about these coaches getting less time than ever, they understand that as well as they navigate, you know, potentially, you know, taking a step up to a Power 5 head coaching job or a Pac-12 head coaching job. John Garcia, Jr., Director of Recruiting for Sports Illustrated for a weekend edition of the show. If you're listening Saturday morning before the games, enjoy the football, everybody. If you're listening later, thank you for doing that. And, John, congratulations, newly minted father. I'll leave you back to uh, all the baby daddy duties that you uh, certainly are dealing with. I hope you're getting enough sleep, though I suspect the answer is probably no. It's it's a mixed bag, but we're, we're fighting the good fight along the way. But I appreciate it, Spencer. Always good to be on with you, man. I appreciate everyone listening. See you next time and have a wonderful rest of your day.